Welcome to this week's episode of Touching the Past. I am the curator, and this is my little corner of the internet where I teach you about all the things that those idiots in universities won't tell you. Today's talk is on the ladle. I hope you enjoy it. Ladles, they're everywhere, aren't they? From scooping soup out of a soup pot into a soup bowl to scooping some other thing out of a pot into a bowl. It seems we just can't get enough of these long-handled, deep-bowled spoons. But what do we really know about the origin of everyone's favourite utensil? Imagine we're going back in time. Way back. Further back than that. Yeah, keep going. Come on, we're going to be here all bloody day at this rate. Whoa, 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 well, there we go. Medieval times. Picture the scene. There's the king. He's been tucked into bed after a slap-up supper of venison, pie, vegetable kebabs and cheese strings. He's just drifted off thinking about that serving girl he's got his eye on when, oop, his tummy's enjoyed supper so much it's decided he should eat it all over again and so he's done a sick all in his mouth. He starts to cough and splutter. What will become of him? Will he choke to death on his regal spew? Worse still, will the overprivileged tosspot actually have to clean himself up? Well, fear not, for watching over him from his hidey hole in the bedside cupboard is the gipspooner persuivant. As soon as he spots the king's distress, it's his job to leap into action and scoop out any nocturnal din-din excursions without waking him. This was a much sought-after position in the royal household. Not only did the holder stand to catch an occasional glance of the queen in the nip, but the regular availability of only partly digested luxury foods, well beyond the grasp of the average royal subject, was a workplace perk of no small value. Early gip spooners, as they were not yet called, used a variety of implements to perform their tasty duty. One popular method was to insert up the royal nose a hollow reed attached to a goat's bladder, which would be vigorously squeezed, propelling the somnial clag from the royal gob, a practice which eventually begat a certain well-known Scottish instrument. But this often meant that the spooner would have to crawl about on the floor to collect his pre-chewed bonus. Clearly such scratching around was beneath these proud and lofty men, and so these bulk pipes were quickly abandoned in favour of the newly invented spoon. Of course, these proto-spoons were not like anything we'd recognise today, consisting of a small circle of hard, stale bread jammed on the end of a rusty nail but eventually they came to be purpose-built out of wood or metal. However, progress didn't stop there. While these short-handled, shallow bold spoons were fine for the common man, monarchal gip spooning demanded ever more specialised tools. The very best gip spooners would craft their spoons so as to more efficiently carry out their slippery duties, extending the handles with the thigh bones of abandoned babies and hammering the bowls over mountain tops to deepen them. Over time, they finally came to resemble something resembling the resemblance of our cutleric best beloved, the ladle. But how did this zenith of comestible displacement come to acquire its distinctive, nay, poetic name, ladle? Ladle. Ladle. It trips off the tongue, doesn't it? Tickles the ear like the first drops of the rainy season plipping into the eye of a tiny zebra. Back when ladles were coming into being, 
The man on the Clapham manure cart ate a very plain diet consisting mainly of watery porridge, dry bread and tripe. Only the most important people in the kingdom could afford the rich diet that leads to nighttime sicky, or snoozing the cud, as it was sometimes called. For this reason, the condition came to be known as malade de roi, the king's sickness. Through years of inaccurate repetition, we eventually ended up with a phrase we'd all recognise, as used here in Act 4, Scene 3 from Shakespeare's Henry V. God's will, my liege, which you and I alone, without more help, could fight this royal battle. Why, now thou hast unwished five thousand men, which likes me better than to wish us one. <laughs> my ladle, Roy! In faith, I have eaten richly to quell the hunger in my belly for victory o'er the French. You know your places! God be with you all! As you can hear, filtered through the traditional English aversion to foreign languages, multiplied by good old stupidity, the phrase has shifted from being a colloquial description of the condition to naming the implement used to fix it. So there we have it, the hows, whys and wheres of the ladle. Until next time, ta-ta.